welcome to another edition of Alternative News brought to you by Andrew Irving from the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament. Once again, I'm in Sydney and I am sitting with Dr. Hannah Middleton and Dennis Doherty from the Anti-Bases Coalition. Recently there was a documentary. It's a documentary that's the same as a photo exhibition, which is Fidel is Fidel. Primarily what it does is follow Fidel as he's visiting a number of centres in Cuba over a number of years. And in that documentary, it shows Fidel interacting with ordinary Cuban citizens, children, women, and doctors and other sections of the community. His interest and engagement with ordinary people, which I think is at the essence of why he's so highly regarded, I just contrast it with what happens here in Australia. We could go outside the Parliament House. There's no effort by the Prime Minister, by the Minister, by the Premier to come down and uh, speak to us. We write to the Prime Minister, to the Foreign Minister, to the Shadow Ministers even, and request interviews and meetings with them. They don't even reply to our letters. I believe there was a demonstration against Castro and Havana, and he, he heard about it and he went down and spoke to them and listened to their grievances. But our political leaders feel no obligation to listen to our protests, our, our complaints... They just forge on and behave as though we were a nuisance. And um, this is not real engagement. Fidel's relationship with his people is a quite a different style and uh, it contrasts sharply with what we have here, where the uh, politicians are far, far removed. Even getting an interview with a local councillor is often difficult. You know, uh, there's this huge separation between ourselves and government in this society, and but not so in Cuba, from what I can see. And, uh, and even though the United States was very punitive in relation to Cuba and to its trade, not just for one year, but for 50 years, or the embargo went from, from 1960 till almost till today, so it was well over 50 years, but they maintained that strong independent streak, and that's what Australia should be doing. That's how we campaign here in Australia, that Australia should be similarly independent, and we have to do that, otherwise they won't respect us. The Australian government says they have a special relationship with the United States. In eight years, Obama uh, cancelled trips to Australia five times. And when he did come to Australia, he was here for the shortest possible time on his way to the Asian meeting. We have no special relationship. When England was going to leave the European Union, Obama said, if you do that, you're finished. We'll go and work with Europe, because that's where the money is. And all the people in, in the United Kingdom were saying, oh, I thought we had a special relationship. The people in Honduras think they've got a special relationship. But no one has a special relationship with the United States. The United States uses countries according to what it needs, foreign affairs and economic needs. They have no special friends. They only have, you know, assistance when they want it. And Cuba teaches us how to be independent. There's been a lot of media about the elections in the United States. I'm in Sydney and I am sitting with Hannah Middleton and Dennis Doherty from the Anti-Bases Coalition. And I've come to talk to them about what effect the election of Donald Trump will have 
with the uh, relations of Australia with the United States and in particular the strategic alliance we have with the United States. Andrew, I have to say that you said there's been a lot of media coverage, there's been a huge amount of analysis, all of which is speculation. And the truth is, if we are honest, we have to say we don't know the answer to your question yet. I mean, I am sure that, you know, Trump is protectionist, racist, right-wing, you know, a, a dinosaur when it comes to environmental matters. But no one man in the White House can actually change that much policy that fundamentally. So we have no idea how much of what Trump's rhetoric was about during the election campaign will be translated into any kind of policy. And we won't know for some time. And people who speculate, I think, don't do us a lot of good service. I think it is clear that something that people have been talking about for a long time, and that is that the 99% really does need to get its act together and unify to a greater extent, that we need to be more aware of each other's campaigns and to support each other, because we do need a strong, broad front against the 1%. But that was true before Trump and probably will be true after as well. Trump may give it just a particular flavour. I think that the much more important question is why Trump got elected, and that, I think, can also not be answered with certainty until some more elections, which are due in various European countries, uh, take place. The real question is, with people like Trump, and in this country with Hansen and others... Are we actually seeing a right-wing backlash against neoliberalism? We've had neoliberal policies inflicted on working people for over two decades now. The price has been very high in both developed and underdeveloped countries. Is there now the beginning of resistance to that? Does that link into the kind of resistance to US imperialism that we've seen in a number of Latin American countries. Did they, in fact, sort of start this movement earlier? Or is, you know, the, the Trump victory a one-off, slightly peculiar thing? I mean, I think those are the kind of questions we, we need to ask while we wait to see what Trump's policies actually are before we start sort of getting all uptight about, you know, is he going to do this, that or the other? There has been a rippling effect in Australia to the Trump election and uh, things that have happened in Australia in response, even the opposition leader talking about Australian jobs for Australian workers, Australian iron for Australian railways and so on. So there's a, a certain tendency, seems to be, that people are looking inward and have picked up a sort of a a protectionist bug. It seems to be a trend. Whether that will last very long, I'm not sure. Well, you see, again, I mean, there's a big contradiction there because our government has, in fact, been supporting things like the TPP um, and they've been supporting, you know, breaking down barriers, 
trade agreements which allow the monopolies to go in almost anywhere and rip out almost anything they want. So, I mean, there's a contradiction there between some of the things that are being said and the general direction that Labour and Liberal have supported for a long time in this country of free trade. But, I mean, we don't know yet if Trump is actually going to be protectionist. I I agree. It's just that there has been a a rippling and a, a worry go through in relation to free trade. He said he's going to get rid of the TPP and he's going to do bilateral agreements. Now, apparently there is already in the pipeline a bilateral agreement with Australia and apparently that is even worse than the TPP and does threaten our our wonderful PBS system for pharmaceuticals. While the TPP might be gone, we might find ourselves with something even worse. But here again, we're speculating. So, But another example of this rippling effect is that the opposition defence spokesperson said that it is a bipartisan policy uh, of the Liberals and of the Labor Party to make our military spending 2% of GDP. So I thought I followed that sort of issue fairly closely. That came to me as a bit of a surprise. I'd never heard that before. I thought the Labor Party under Gillard seriously cut military spending. And uh, if they're now saying we are going to be neck and neck with the government in military spending, it is very worrying. Prior to Trump, both the Liberal and the Labor Party are lockstep with the alliance. And nobody has broken ranks and apart from Penny Wong who when she did say we should reevaluate the alliance she was very firmly brought into line by Bill Shorten so again as Hannah's saying that we really don't know but there are signs there that there will be a requirement for Australia to spend more and to send more men on military adventures and that the prospect of Australians dying in some foreign field does seem, again speculating, but it does seem that there's a very strong possibility that this will happen. And And you see, you say there's a very strong possibility that this will happen in their minds, but they are actually basing that on speculation themselves. We do not know what Trump is going to do in the Middle East. We don't know what he's going to do in relation to China. We know what he's said, but, you know, the, this idea that, you know, there's a strong possibility of this and so forth and so on, there may be, but nobody knows. So that if people are moving towards, you know, re-emphasising the alliance, talking about 2% military spending, that's because in their very belligerent analysis of the situation, they want to spend more money. They've got a, you know, they, they look for reasons, you know, enemies to spend money. Now they've got Trump, you know, Trump says he's going to be belligerent and so on and so forth, therefore we've got a very good excuse to spend more money on, on the military. And they are also sort of developing policy almost on the basis of speculation. And, you know, why they should assume that they have the first idea of what Trump will do in practice. After all, he said he was going to build a wall and make the Mexicans pay for it. 
Now he says, well, maybe, you know, it'll be a fence, but there's a fence there already. So what are we supposed to think? You know, should there be a, a major solidarity campaign with Mexico about a war? Well, perhaps not. I know that you heavily emphasise the fact that at this stage there's a lot of speculation, but within the peace movement here there's been quite a bit of talk about using the speculation to arc up the campaign for an independent foreign policy. So even though Trump may or may not do certain things, is there still value in embarking on a campaign that deals with the risk to Australia of that unstable relationship with the United States? Well, you see, the peace movement is using the opportunity to speculate as well, or using the sort of opportunity of the speculation to drive a campaign it's had for a long time. I mean, you know, sort of Trump's a nutter, therefore we don't want the alliance with him anymore. Well, the peace movement has been fighting the US alliance for almost as long as it existed. Um, Again, there is the danger that people will fall flat on their face if Trump doesn't do what the speculation suggests. Well, he might possibly do that, and therefore we... and so on, you know, those kind of arguments. The peace movement could end up looking a bit foolish, but perhaps not. I mean, I think that the campaign for a more independent foreign policy and the campaign against the alliance with the United States should be pursued as campaigns, but they shouldn't actually be too closely tried to Trump. It's a risk we take if we do it that way. If we look back at recent history, we say, oh, Bush was a terrible warmonger and Obama was sweet, sweetness and light. Whereas when you examine what Obama did, how he pursued the Afghan war, drone program, how he, his policy in the Middle East, again, in Syria. In all those ways, he was every bit as bad as George W. Bush. And we have the same experience in Australia. We say, oh, isn't it terrible? You know, the terrible liberals, they do this and they do that. And then, yet, who got the Marines into Darwin? It was not only a Labour, it was a woman Prime Minister, the first woman Prime Minister of Australia, introduced Marines into Australia. Um, and they extended the number of bases, US bases, that, uh, that, that America has in Australia. And every Labour regime has extended uh, US bases in Australia, and um, just like the Liberals, so that There's not a great deal of difference whether we have Liberal or Labor here. There's not a great deal of difference between Democrat and Republican in in the American system. The other aspect that has been raised almost immediately is that the election of Trump is uh, another reason why all different types of community movements need to build a united front. It would be the same in the peace movement. So once again, I'd like to thank um, Dennis and Hannah for their interesting contribution on uh, these matters and thank them once again and hope that they come and speak to us again. Thanks, Andrew. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Community Radio 3CR, brought to you by the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament. I am Andrew Irving, looking forward to your company next week.